to 2 Corinthians. We're con- continuing in our series on this wonderful book. And it's great to be back here uh, after a summer break. Continuing in this series, um, today we'll be looking at verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 16 through 24. And what I believe is a very relevant message, of course, God's word is always relevant, the nature of God and his word, Um, but this particular passage is relevant to certain things that we as a church are going through, and just in God's providence, he's brought us to this place. So we're going to examine the word and hear from God, um, looking at verses 16 through 24. Before we read there, um, I want to ask you... uh, and answer the question, why, why should a church be part of other churches? Why shouldn't we just be independent and on our own? Um, so that's the question I want to put before you. That's a question I think that's in a lot of people's minds in Christianity, and particularly Western Christianity. Um, why shouldn't we just be on our own? Um, after all that God says about his church and the importance of his local church, uh, why should we, we be connected? Actually, um, Here's a quote from somebody who thinks that way from a, a Baptist church in, in Canada. He, he's uh, the pastor, I assume, says, Organized man-made fellowships, associations, and conventions are all of recent origin and are in contradiction to what was taught and practiced in the New Testament. Independent Baptists believe that a definite, specific plan has been revealed in the Scriptures of how the work of God is to be carried out by his churches. To depart from, change, or try to improve this divine and perfect plan is to not only deliberately disobey God, but also to rob him the glory that is due his name. Um, I think that uh, people might not say exactly that, but there's a sentiment out there like that. Of course, we should be independent, and this is a very strong one. And and so what I want to do is answer that from Scripture. And actually, this brother is saying what Scripture reveals, and that's, of course, where we go. That's where the authority uh, is to determine these issues. So this morning we're going to look at this section of Scripture. There are actually many sections of Scripture that address just this question. Uh, so I could go elsewhere. I could take you on a journey through the Bible and show you all the, pla- all the places that talk about um, the interdependence of local churches. But in God's providence, here we are, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 16 through 24, addresses us about this topic. So let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. And that's really what I am after this morning, most of all. Um, I don't want you to hear what I think, um, apart from hearing ultimately what God thinks. Um, We want to hear from God. We want to see what he says to us. And he's living. He's alive. His word is living and active. And so let's pray that he would do just that, speak to us through his living word. Lord, we thank you for your word. And this particular question is there. Um, for us, and we look to you for your answer. And I pray as, as I teach and proclaim your truth this morning, it would be clear, and Lord, I would, in a sense, uh, serve you and get out of the way that you would speak. And I pray we would hear from you. I pray, Spirit of God, you would take the word and, and illumine it to us, that we would understand its meaning, but also apply it to us, that we would understand how to apply it to our situations right now. We know that this is your ministry, Spirit of God, you want to do this, and so we ask you to take from the Father and the Son and speak to us through the Word, and Lord, be glorified in it. 
We thank you. We're looking forward to how you'll guide us and lead us in this time. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Read with me as I start in verse 16. Paul um, is speaking to the Corinthians here. And he says, But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother, who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. God's word from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I want to tell you up front what I think this section of scripture is teaching us. It's giving us a picture of inter-church partnership. It's giving us a picture of churches cooperating together. And I think in, in it, it is basically telling us that we are better together, that churches are better together. Churches are better together cooperating in the life and mission that God calls them to. That's the bottom line here. And again, I could look elsewhere in Scripture, but that's the lesson that's in this. It's, it's in, in the text here. And there are three things I want to highlight as we go through the text. I want to look at the heart of partnership. I want to look at the help that comes with partnership. And I want to look at the, the honor uh, or honoring partnership. So three H's, if that helps you. Uh, three things that are woven throughout this whole paragraph. Uh, and in it all, I think the point is that we are to learn that we are better together. So let's start first, the heart for partnership. Um, uh, hopefully as you heard me read through that, and, and if uh, we can keep those verses up, the relevant verses up, and if you have a Bible in front of you, keep in this section, because I'll be moving through different verses as we go in this paragraph. But I hope you saw as I read this, the, just the level of earnestness that the Apostle Paul has in talking about this cooperation that's going on. In the background, you heard a little bit about it two weeks ago when Pastor Jeff spoke about uh, giving and what's going on. There's, there's a project going on where the churches in Macedonia and the churches in Achaia or, or near the Corinthian church were raising money to give to the Jerusalem church. And the, the background is that, of course, the Jerusalem church is the founding church that sent out people basically to share the good news of Jesus, and they went out throughout the Roman world, sharing this good news. Churches were established. People came to uh, faith in Christ and forgiveness and new life in Christ. And there were all these spiritual blessings that came out of the Jerusalem church. But the Jerusalem church was very poor materially, financially. They were going through different struggles. And yet the church, particularly in Corinth, was fairly wealthy. And so Paul, as he was uh, a church planter and as he was a point of connection between the Jerusalem churches and the churches in Corinth and Macedonia, uh, he and his team were seeking to raise money to bring back to Jerusalem. So that's what's going on. Uh, Jerusalem church had a need materially. 
they were rich spiritually, and they had given very much, uh, given their very best to go out and plant churches in the rest of the world. And so this is a response, in a sense, of the other churches in Macedonia and in, in, in and around Corinth to give back. And you can see Paul's earnestness here uh, as he's talking about what's going on. And, and he's excited about this partnership. He's excited about this project, the specific project of giving money to Jerusalem. And he really wants the Corinthians to follow through on what they had pledged. They had pledged earlier to be a vital part of this. And so Paul's trying to help them uh, follow through on that. And, and yet, as he does this, as he talks about the project, you see that he's earnest. But it's not just Paul that's earnest. Titus as well. He speaks of Titus here. And he says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. So Paul is an apostle. Um, Paul's an apostle with a capital A. And what I mean by that, they, they were unique. Uh, apostle just means messenger, by the way. Um, and so later on, it's going to say these guys are messengers of the churches. In the original language, it says they're, they're apostles of the churches. But that's a small a apostle. That just means a messenger. There are what's called what we call capital A apostles. They are unique. And if you search through Scripture about their qualifications, they are unique. They had to have seen the, the risen uh, Christ, physically, the risen Christ. They were appointed by him, the risen Christ, to have authority for the church. And thirdly, they were empowered by the risen Christ to do miracles to testify to the validity of the gospel. Extraordinary miracles. Those are the three requirements of, of capital A apostles. And as you can imagine, um, there are no more capital A apostles today, right? Because there's nobody seeing the risen Christ uh, physically, the risen Christ showing himself. There's no one commissioned in that same way. And there's no one operating in quite that level of, of miracles and so forth. So he's, a, he's a, a special person in his office, and there were other capital A apostles as well. But he's part of a team, and he's working with others. He's working with, with men that were actually raised up in local churches, by local churches, and, and those local churches recognized these men as gifted men who, who were called to serve, and then Paul recognized them and recruited them to his team. So he has a team of about eight guys or so at this point. He's working with this team. <coughs> Excuse me, getting over my cold. Um, and so he's working with this team, um, and Titus is one of his guys. And he's, he thanks God for not only giving him a heart, of course, as an apostle, but Titus has the same earnest care. Titus cares about this church in Corinth like Paul does. Um, and, and his care, Titus' earnestness uh, is, is affecting Titus uh, in many ways. He's serving the church. And it's interesting, if you, you look here, it says, thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. So Titus has received actually uh, power from God to have this sort of care for the church in Corinth. Uh, so God's behind uh, creating these, this sort of team that loves this sort of partnership. But also it says that he is um, doing this. He's earnest in, of his own accord. It's interesting to see that. So God puts it in his heart, but Titus also says, I want to do it. Uh, just a picture of how God works. He puts things in our hearts, but it's, it's us. We make the choices in that. Um, so Titus wants to serve. We see his earnestness. We see his heart for this partnership. And I think, I just want us to see that there. It's so important to understand the heart that's there. I, I think uh, you, you start to understand the value of partnership when you see the earnestness, the heart that Paul has, the heart that his team has, the heart that Titus has for what's going on. These guys are not just doing this because of obligation 
And it's interesting to note that Paul isn't forcing it on Titus, you know, saying, look, Titus, I'm the capital A apostle. We're going to do this thing, so go do this. No, Paul's thanking God for putting in Titus the same desire, and Titus is voluntarily saying, I want to be part of this. I want to go help with this project of raising the money and bringing the money to Jerusalem. But you probably notice that it's not just Titus. There's other people in this section as well. There's other people here who, who are, I think, equally excited about cooperating with the churches. And it's not just guys out of one church. So Titus is not from Corinth. Um, Titus is from elsewhere. And, and, and yet there's other guys besides Titus. You see, uh, as Paul talks later, he talks about other people that are involved. He says in verse 18, With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. So there's someone else being sent. Uh, and, and then it says, the next verse, um, and not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel. So I want us to see that there, there's someone else. It's someone of, of actually pretty high stature because he's famous among the churches, someone well-known. And then the churches, the other churches, which is the Macedonian churches, have said, we want to send you. And he's been appointed. Uh, and, and the word for appointing uh, isn't just like, hey, uh, is there anybody here who doesn't have anything to do? Oh, you don't have anything to do? No, can you go do this? No, this is actually like a, a formal, like a family meeting and a vote sort of thing. Like, who should we send to, to go on this project to bring this money to Jerusalem to our sister churches? And they basically pick the guy that's famous among the churches. They pick a very prominent, gifted person. They basically send their very best with Paul to be part of this project of bringing the money from the Macedonian Corinthian churches to Jerusalem. So I, I don't want us to miss that. That, that it's not just Paul and Titus that have a heart, but the churches as well. They're excited about this project. They're excited to give to Jerusalem, and they show that by not only giving the money, but sending their very best to go along in delivering the money. There's a third guy as well. So it's Titus, this other guy who's famous. And by the way, we don't know who that is. Paul doesn't mention his name. Um, Scholars debate. You can actually look in Acts chapter 20, verses 3 and following for the, a list of the guys that are with Paul on his journey as he brings the money. So we can make some guesses. Uh, might be Luke. Luke might be the guy who's famous. Um, Luke is the guy that wrote Acts and wrote the Gospel of Luke. Um, perhaps him. It could be others as well. But there's another guy besides the guy who's famous, who's appointed by the churches. Um, uh it says in verse 22, And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but now is more earnest. So they're also sending another guy. And this also is a guy who is a proven guy. Uh, they're sending, and so he's being sent with the churches as well. So there are three guys that Paul's talking about that are being sent to, to kind of oversee this project. And I, and I hope in all that, just for us to see the heart that's there. Actually, it's interesting what Paul calls them uh, later on, uh, he, he speaks of them as being the messengers of the church in verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So these guys are messengers of the churches. They're being sent on behalf of the churches in this collection. But Paul calls them the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ actually describes the messengers. Certainly, it can apply to the churches, too. 
But Paul sees these men as, as, as men who are honoring Jesus. Of course, in who they are, their character and their service, that's part of how they reflect the glory of Christ. But they also are representing the churches. They're serving the churches in this partnership. They're going willingly. They're representing the heart that's behind this partnership. And that's the glory of Christ. And so it reflects the glory of Christ when churches come together to partner for God's purposes. Now, it's wonderful what goes on in local churches. God's plan is to use local churches that are autonomous. They govern themselves. They, they have in their midst the, the, the means to, to live out the life of, of the local church under the structure and authority of the local church. The local church is very important in Scripture. And there are wonderful things that happen in the local church. It's where the good news and through whom the good news is proclaimed to God's people and to all those who would hear. It's the place where people come to faith and are added to a local body that is a picture of the whole body and a picture of the body of Christ. It's a place where we grow up and reflect the image of Christ. It's a place where we receive strength and support to go out and represent Christ in the world. The local church is really important. And if that were all that there was, that would be certainly wonderful. But, but Paul is celebrating this partnership that goes beyond the bounds of a local church. And these men, as they cooperate together, represent the glory of Christ. So there's an aspect of, of the glory of God that is shown when churches come together, when they give freely to other churches and they partner together for the purpose of, of, of the Lord's glory in and among the churches. I hope you see that in this passage, and, and there are many other places we could go as well. I want us to understand that there's a heart here, and it's not just happening because there are capital A apostles. Certainly, the apostles carried an authority and an ability to coordinate. But, but the motivations here are not stemming from Paul's authority saying, you will do this, and we will do that, and you must work together. No, this is coming from their hearts, freely. They want a partner. They're excited about this collection for the church in Jerusalem. They're excited to give back, in a sense, to the church in Jerusalem from what they've been given spiritually. There's a heart here. We as a church have been part of a family of churches called Sovereign Grace Churches for the whole time that we've existed. It's been 19 years, actually, uh, this week, 19 years that we've existed as a church. We were planted, started by Sovereign Grace Churches. I uh, was trained and mentored and sent, and we were funded by Sovereign Grace Churches to start this church in 2002. This family of churches has been a huge blessing for us in so many ways along the way they have helped us. They have cooperated with us. They've sent teams to come and help us with uh, events. We have deep friendship now, right, with so many people because of their cooperation. The VBS team that from Pennsylvania that's come for, what, 10 or 11 years now. They have trained your pastors. They have given us guidance. They have been part of ordaining pastors, our pastors here. We've been able to send three church plants out through Sovereign Grace. Uh, and, and they have been part of that whole program of training them, supporting them, funding them, raising them up as pastors. Peg and I have been part for 25 years. In my life, my marriage, my family, I've been profoundly impacted by the biblical values and the deep love and the significant support we have received from this family of churches. We continue to enjoy wonderful 
resources, worship music, conferences, all sorts of things. And this pleases God. This is to the glory of God. And this is part of the heart of a partnership uh, that we receive and we exchange things at this level and we can, we can look at these sorts of things with deep gratitude and celebration. I want us to see in Scripture the heart of partnership through Paul and his team and others, but ultimately through them to God. God loves it when local churches come together and partner for the sake of his purposes. Now, there's real help, the next point. There's real help here. It isn't just hard. It isn't just that they're excited. It isn't just that, that it's a good and wonderful thing. It actually accomplishes much. And, of course, this, the specific project here is the financial project. And, and, and as I said before, it had to do with the need in Jerusalem. And actually, uh, if you just want proof of that, Romans 15, verses 25 to 27, we, I think we have that to put up. Um, Paul talks about this. And he's actually written, he writes Romans in Corinth as he's preparing to leave with this project. So the book of Romans was written uh, at that point and in that context. And at the end of Romans, he talks about what he's doing. He says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, that would be Corinth, have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they also ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So there's real help coming to the church in Jerusalem, and it was very poor. It's real help. It's a, it's a significant gift that's coming from these churches now. And we heard from Pastor Jeff, Macedonia was poor, yet they gave even out of their poverty, uh, this, this heart to give. And the Corinthians were probably wealthier, and they gave as well. And, and, and so there's real help that's coming um, and as they bring gifts. And I think God works actually a wonderful exchange in that. As we give, as a local church, to other churches, we receive. We receive back. I actually can't wait to hear, and I want to arrange a time, we haven't arranged it yet, to hear from those who have served overseas this summer. I want to hear from them because I, I just, I want to know, and I'm sure we all do, want to know, what does God do? And, and often when we go overseas, uh, serve overseas, or we send people overseas, we think mostly in terms of what we're giving, right? Where we're giving time and, and money and so forth to serve churches, and that's wonderful. But there's a wonderful exchange that always happens, and I think, I think I can say it would be true for each one who serves. You come back feeling like you got the better end of the deal, right? You come back thinking, I was so blessed. I got so much. Because, yeah, I gave my time, and, and I, you know, we were funded to do this, but, but I got from people in other places who are often poor, materially, rich spiritual blessing. I know from my time in Nepal, I came back, and I, were like, I was like, these are the richest Christians I've ever known. And they are poor financially. But boy, they're full of joy and faith and enthusiasm. And it's just not an issue uh, whether or not they have a car or a second car or any of these things that tend to trouble us off. And they, they, it's just not an issue. And they live in joy and maturity. So I came back from Nepal feeling like I got the better end of the deal. And I, and I think that's part of what happens in the real help of partnership. We give, but we receive back even more. And I think that's what's going on as Paul talks about this. It's really interesting to see how earnestly they serve this project, too, because they send their very best. Um, they send the one, uh, as I said before, he's famous among the churches for the preaching of the gospel. This is a guy, is it Luke or some other guy, we don't know, uh, a guy who's really gifted. 
And he's like an evangelist. He's famous among the churches, too. So he's serving multiple churches throughout Macedonia. He's an effective guy. And, and as we know, when you send someone like that, there's a, a hole that it leaves, right? And they're sending this guy who's, who's really gifted and has really had an impact on the churches, obviously, to be part of this project. And he's being sent. This is, no, like, this is not like get on the plane and be back in two days. This is ancient world travel, right? So, like, people died just traveling on the road. They got robbed and so forth. And they're carrying a bunch of money as well. Um, and, and they're going to be on a ship. And probably there's probably no ship in the ancient world that would qualify as seaworthy today. Um, it, it was dangerous. They, I mean, if you, if you study the history of ships, they were basically boxes with square sails, and they didn't work too well. Um, and so travel was very dangerous. So these churches are sacrificing this guy in a significant way. They may never see him again, and he's certainly going to be gone for months, if not longer. So they're really giving. And, of course, the other guy that they're giving is someone who's been tested and proven uh, in many circumstances. Uh, He's been found earnest. It's not, again, some newbie that's just kind of like, hey, I, I got nothing to do. I'll do it. No, they're sending their very best. They're sending the, the someone that has served and been tested and been found faithful. Um, by the way, I'm so grateful because as I was preparing this, I just thought of our own church, um, and I feel like we are packed with people like that. Uh, I, I could name names. Um, and I probably would have to name everybody in the church, pretty much. But people who are tested and approved, they've served for years. They've been faithful. They've gone through the ups and downs of life. They've continued to walk with Jesus, continued to love God's people, continued to love the mission. Um, so I just want to say that I, I am so grateful because we are very rich spiritually as a church. And we have a lot of wonderful men and women um, that would be just like the people here in this section. But I want you to see that, that these guys are um, giving their very best. They're sending these sorts of people to serve in this mission. Um, and, and they're going, sacrificing so much. So there's real help, real impact um, that they're sending. It's no light partnership. This is no light thing. It's a deep partnership. When you, when you send guys in this way for this sort of thing, that's just not trivial. There's a, there's, so you see the heart in that, and you see the level of help. And, of course, there's the real help of the finances that, that go on. And previously, of course, the real help in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch sending people to go plant these churches and to support them. Paul is saying all this uh, so that they would understand, I think, his heart, that the Corinthians would understand the, the wonder, the goodness of partnership. And also he's seeking, I think, to motivate them to follow through. Um, he says at the end, right, so give proof before the churches of your love. Like, it's, it's a little bit of pressure in some ways. <laughs> he's saying, look, we're sending our very best. We're, 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 we're doing this thing. We're sending our be very best guys. There's the churches have appointed the, these guys. They are the messengers of the glory of Christ. All this, all this significance behind it and saying basically, Corinthians, guys, this is a big deal, and we want you to follow up. Now, he's just asking them to hold what they've already said. So he's not manipulating them. He's just saying, guys, we know when we talked about this originally, you were so excited. You, you expressed your love for the church in Jerusalem. You wanted to give. You saw the call to give. And so now follow through. And, and so he wants them to, to give proof of their love for the Lord and for these other churches. So he calls them, really, 
to partnership. Paul calls them to partnership with these other churches. And I want us to hear that as well. And I want us to understand that 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 call of giving proof of your love for the Lord Jesus and the broader church needs to be real and concrete. You can say you believe in this and then not do anything about it. Or or you can say you believe in it and not make the sacrifices to be part of a, a broader group of churches. And I want us to hear God's word in that. I want us to hear the call of God. And that we with the Corinthians would hear, give proof of your love before the churches by being heartfelt and earnest and involved in partnership. Finally, honoring partnership. Paul says something very significant in verses 20 through 21. He speaks of all that they're doing and the the very reason that they're recruiting people and the very reason that they want the churches to appoint people and send their very best because these guys are to cooperate. It's to be a cooperative work in carrying this money. And he says in verse 20 and 21, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. It's really interesting how he says that there. And it's, I think, helpful to think who's saying this. This is the Apostle Paul who's saying this. He's basically saying we take this step to to do what's honorable so that no one will blame us. So we are basically making sure that there are checks and balances in what we're doing. That it's a cooperative thing that you that you guys and your churches have have sent your guy who you can trust to be part of it. So it's not just me, the Apostle Paul, saying I'm going to take the money and do what I think is best. So he says that because he wants to do what's honorable in the sight of the Lord and men. And ultimately, I think it's because Paul values so highly the partnership, this cooperation. And partnerships are built on trust. They're built on trust. Um, and it's interesting to think. In Paul's day, when you had apostles with capital A, you actually had authority for interchurch cooperation. In other words, Paul, he's an apostle, right? He's seen the risen Christ. He does miracles. He raises the dead. He can call blindness on people. He can, go, he can walk into the church in Corinth if he wants and say, look, we're doing a collection for Jerusalem and you will collect this money or God will judge you. He could say that possibly. He has that sort of authority to make it happen. He has the authority, and he has the character. He has the history. He's a man of character. And so he's trustworthy. He's a trustworthy man. He is. He doesn't have to cater to the Corinthians' suspicions. He doesn't. He doesn't answer to them. He answers to God. And he could say, look, there doesn't need to be any checks and balances. I'm the Apostle Paul, and and I stand before God. And, And if I don't do what's right, he'll strike me down. I've seen the risen Christ. I've been to the third heaven. If there's anyone who's trustworthy, it's me. But he doesn't do any of that. Isn't that interesting? Partnership, in Paul's mind, when he has the authority, is not built on the authority, it's built on trust. And so he says, we do this basically to preserve the trust so no one will blame us. So no one will have suspicion. No one will doubt the integrity and the preciousness of this partnership. He takes extra measures to ensure that everyone can be fully confident of the integrity of this project and of the team and of the partnership. It's interesting to see that, particularly in light of the authority that Paul does carry 
as an apostle with a capital A. And, and as I said, there are no longer apostles with capital A's. And, and to think through that, that would mean that there's no longer the same level, the same type of authority extra locally. So now partnerships are built entirely on trust, right? As they come together. I think that's important to understand and see in this text and walk out implications. Paul is earnest. He's got a heart. This team has a heart. There's real help. And there's an honor, an honoring in a partnership that's here. Now, for many of you, you're probably connecting the dots. These truths, and this particular truth, has been heavy on the hearts of your pastors over the past months. I imagine for many of you it's been on your heart too. And I want in this message, first and foremost, for us to understand the heart and help of partnership and let that be the accent. But there have been some things that have gone on in the past months that have damaged our trust, ability to trust in our partnership. And just in God's providence, um, this message was planned a long time ago, like a year ago, before anything happened. And here we are today, going through this very text at this juncture of our church life. I, um, and I know pastors are very reluctant to bring drama into the pulpit. And I was talking with Pastor Jeff. There's only been one other time that I've ever addressed an issue directly like this in the pulpit in 20 years. Um, we're very reluctant to do it, but just we, we just see God's providence. Here's the passage. Here we are. Here's our time to talk a little bit. If you're a guest with us, um, we apologize. We Again, it's you picked the one time in 20 years, <laughs> uh, 10 years that we're being a little more pointed in, in the message, but, but we have to walk together as a church at this point in time, and there are some issues with our denomination. And I want you to hear as a guest and all of us to hear the first part of this message. We love this family of churches, and we are so grateful. Um, I have experienced really just about only good and blessing, and we as a church as well. So this is not from a background of, of trouble and controversy, but there have been some very significant issues recently, and particularly over the past month. But just so you can know, there, there, these issues have been bubbling beneath the surface for some years. And, and I've been involved as a board member for our denomination. I was chairman of the board, so I've been very aware of it. But it's only been in the past months that, it, that these things have particularly weighed on our hearts. And, and we are at the juncture where this third part of partnership has been damaged for us. It's through no, no fault, no moral failure of our denomination. It's through a course of decisions that have been made that have kind of addressed this. So to tell you first, um, at, at for our members, as you know, we posted a statement back in uh, May, early May. Uh, our denomination is going through a crisis where they've been accused of mishandling sexual abuse cases within the church. So there, there's, I, I know of no pastor in Sovereign Grace that has been involved in any sort of sexual abuse, but it went on in some of the churches, and so people have said, look, you didn't handle it well, um, and we think there should be a third-party investigation. So that's the crisis. Uh, we as a church posted a statement supporting that approach. Uh, we want it to be done right. We want it to be done properly. Uh, it does not mean somebody can go in as a maverick and just damage churches. It has to be done the right way, but it should be done. Uh, the majority of our churches, the vast majority of our churches in Sovereign Grace disagree with us. We posted the statement. We sought to do it respectfully um, because I serve on the board. Basically, I was brought before the Council of Elders and removed from the board. And so that just happened. Um, and so uh, it's been an issue for us. So the first issue 
uh, the trust issue. We just think that uh, our statement, the reason we said it is because the, the trust of people of good faith is so important to us that we think, even though we don't think we've done anything, there's certainly lessons to learn, but we don't think there's anything uh, been done really wrong ethically. Um, we, we, we value the trust of our of people of good faith so much, we'd rather be investigated to show, look, this is who we are, and just to say, hey, here's what we did wrong, and we're sorry, we'll change. Um, that's our view. We think trust is really important. It's related to this passage indirectly. Uh, that trust of, of others that we're trying to represent Jesus to is so important. So that was one issue. And the second issue was in the whole process of this, it became apparent that there was a different understanding uh, with the majority of our churches and their elderships, and in particular the centralized leadership, a different understanding of how authority works. Um, we understand that the local church is the place of where God gives authority to his church in that local church and through its elders. And that any association that you form flows from that, and it's a voluntary association. But what happened in the process and in, in, in the, the, the meeting we had about these issues, it became very clear that the denomination, by a, a vote of 51 to 22, if I remember the numbers right, um, said, no, we want to defer to the central leadership when they make these decisions. And so there's been a change in that, and it's, and it's changed our our view towards this family of churches. We love this family of churches. Um, this is not an easy thing for us. We love and we're grateful. It's been a wonderful history. For us, a 25-year history. So I was, I was like 29 years old when we got involved in Sovereign Grace and the churches. But these issues are significant, and it's a shift. And, and, and we can't, as a church and as, as your elders, we can't grant this sort of authority outside of our church because if it's not this issue, there'll be another one. And as much as we love these brothers and sisters, as much as we love this family of churches, uh, we can't trust them to operate in authority as we understand it because of the difference, because of the clear statements. It's been very clear. This change has been dramatically clear. And so in, in many ways, we've not wanted it. We've wanted to stay, but it's been forced on us. It basically, the statements are, here's what we're doing. We love you, but you need to decide. Um, in a sense, they're saying, we love you, brothers, but... If you're not here with us, we're going to bless you as you go. That's what that's what's uh, being said. Guys, it, just so you know, this is done in humility and love among the different pastors. But it's very clear. Um, and again, I, I am reluctant to address these things from the pulpit, but here we are in this text, and here's the application God has given us. Um, so I want us, first and foremost, I, the, my main objective in this message, what my prayer is, is that you... My brothers and sisters here, all of us, would not lose the heart or the, the desire for the real help of partnership. So we've been through some rough waters. Let's not give up on the topic of partnership and the commitment to it. I hope you see in this text that, that I think it's a non-negotiable. So we're not in this whole process going to abandon partnership and be independent. But I want you to know that uh, your elders have wrestled through these things, and we are unanimously recommending that we peacefully separate from sovereign grace. Um, and we're submitting that to the whole church. Um, and we're also looking to work towards a, a new partnership. Um, a number of other churches are, are with us in this whole process and have gone through the same experience and have the same very same convictions. A number of churches that we've partnered with, actually the very closest churches to us are pretty much all with us on this. And so we're looking in God's dependence on God and God's providence to form a partnership that takes everything that's good and is very clear on how authority works. Um, and
move forward. And so we are recommending that to the church, and we will have a month to process that or so. We want to, um, we just want to ask you to pray, and ask you to fast and pray as you're able. We're going to be supplying you with information and our recommendations. We want you to look at those things, work through the, the Word of God with these issues, and we're trusting that uh, we can have a, a full discussion and then a vote either at our family meeting on the 29th or shortly after that. So we're looking to walk through these things, keeping the heart, remembering the help, but also recognizing the change in our, in, in our ability to, to trust and work together. Now, this doesn't mean there's no more partnership with Sovereign Grace, by the way, because this is not, I don't believe it's anything that's ethical, but it is significant. So we will still partner with them. We'll still go to conferences. We'll still sing their music. <laughs> we'll still have friends. We still might have pastors come in and help us. But at the level, the, d- the sort of deep partnership that we have cannot continue because of these shifts. There's significant shifts. Uh, just as we partner with other churches and other organizations, we'll continue to partner with Sovereign Grace, but not in the same way. So that's our recommendation, and, and that's what I want to put before you. I trust you see it in this scripture, and, uh, and I hate to end on that, <laughs> um, but there's no way around it. This is what's before us. But I want us to hear God's word. I want us to have faith for partnership. I want us to see the heart and the help that's here. And just to tell you, this is my own observation, I'm very encouraged how God has cared for us along this way. We prayed for clarity. As these issues started to emerge, our prayer was, God, would you make it clear what you want to do? Because we don't want these issues to be there and not clear, and then we have to wrestle through them for like five, ten years, and we have struggles. And God brought great clarity. It was just unmistakable where, the, where our denomination stood and where we stood. Um, we also have been praying, God, would you providentially make it clear what to do in Sovereign Grace, but also on the outside. And there have been some wonderful developments and possible partnerships. There's one in particular. I can tell you more about it, so there's no, uh, there's no secret in some ways with that, though it's in development phase. Um, and I don't mind telling my Sovereign Grace, fellow Sovereign Grace pastors about what's going on here as well. Um, we're in process with that. But, but just personally, I'm encouraged. So I, don't, I want you to, to be encouraged and to know that we are held by the Lord. He's faithful and he's working good. So let me just pray. And then I actually want to transition and do a little Q&A. Uh, if you have questions and comments, and we can continue the conversation uh, throughout the month as well. Lord, we give you all these things. We thank you in your providence. You've led us to this passage. And, and Lord, I, I <laughs> we know I wrestled with you on this. But here we are, and we're having to face these things, and we are casting ourselves on you. Your faithfulness. You love partnership. We want to continue in it. But Lord, uh, we see very clearly that we're at an impasse. It changes how things are done and what it means to be responsible for us locally. And so we, we cast all this at your feet. We ask you, Lord Jesus, reign and rule over your church and over our local church. Guide us. I pray for all of your people here to have faith in you, to know you are able and you are good. You haven't changed. And so we ask you to lead us and that where you lead us would be even more fruitful and faithful and would even glorify you more. We ask you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. And then we have a little bit of time for questions. So uh, any questions anyone has about any of these things related to the text and, and the subject? Mitch.
capital A's apostles today? Um, so yeah, besides uh, Paul, you have you have the twelve or the eleven plus one. Um, so they are very clearly apostles. Uh, and then if you read through the study of the usage of the word, it's really it's put in that category. So it's not there are small a apostles that are used like the messengers of the churches, but the context always makes it clear that these guys are not capital A apostles. And then Paul actually, uh, as he's defending his ministry, he defines what a capital A apostle is. And so that's where he says, have I not seen the risen Christ? Um, you know, have, have not I been appointed? Uh, and, and do I not uh, demonstrate the, the miracles of an apostle? So that's where we get the description. That's how we know that, that that's the requirement for an, a capital A apostle. We call it capital A. Now, they, they would have distinguished it through the context. Um, we put a capital on it so that we can distinguish it. So I think it's very clear in Scripture that, that having seen the risen Christ, um, you know, he's ascended right now, so it's, uh, that, that, that period has passed. Um, so there are no capital A apostles. They established it. There's also Ephesians um, 2.20, if I remember right. It talks about the church being established on the apostles. And I think that's capital A apostles. So the foundation of the church is in the apostles. And that so the church has been founded. It's moving on. So we would understand uh, that that capital A apostle office has ceased because of Scripture. Um, we don't see the other offices and gifts ceasing because there's nothing in Scripture that says that. Uh, it teaches us that they continue. Good question, very good question. Okay. Lisa. Now that, that's a good question. And and we're I mean we're in process as an eldership, so I'm not we're not it's not a final uh, decision for even us and us as a church. We would walk as a church in this. Um, but uh, in my thinking in this, and I think the guys would probably agree to a point, um, we it is, it's an issue to wrestle through. Do we join another group or not? Um, we love, we're, so we're already affiliated with Southern Baptist, so we are four other groups. But we don't find the depth of partnership out there um, that we've had uh, in other groups. Uh, so there's not the same level of togetherness and helping and, um, and for just for pastoral support and church support and it's just you don't see anything at this level um, unless it's something that has a lot of authority. So that you do see cooperation with groups that are that basically there's a central authority. <laughs> so the combination of, of, of local churches being autonomous and yet the partnership being deep, uh, it's, it's rare. It's, uh, it's unknown that I know of. Um, and so it doesn't mean we don't associate with other groups. So again, we're already in the Southern Baptist, but we don't get in the Southern Baptist that level. Um, we get some help and we get there's heart there, of course. That's why we're in it. Um, but the, the sort of level that we've experienced and kind of what's normal, I think, we're, we're used to doing a lot together. We're used to our guys being trained and, and uh, we're used to having, you know, a team come up from Pennsylvania every year. You don't see that elsewhere at, at that level. So because of that um, and because of the history we have with these other churches and their, and their like-mindedness in terms of our theology, what our biblical values, uh, it seems to make sense to go ahead and form a partnership. And just uh, and define it with all the best that we've known, and be very clear. One thing that I think we realize is that there was lack of clarity on how we how authority works and how we interact, and that allowed room for this what we believe is a change. Um, and so we just want to be clear on that. I don't think it'll. It, I think it will enhance the function actually by being clear on that. So there's things being worked on. Um, I am helping with that. That doesn't mean we're committed to that. So we have to decide that. So I can tell you more about. Uh, 
details of, of that partnership. Uh, but please pray for us in all this. Uh, great question. Any other questions? Yes, Andrea. Yeah, great question. So uh, for the checks and balances, we, we see in the verses, and uh, he says, we, we take this course so that no one could blame us. Um, and, and so I think that's what, what it's he's, he's after. So it would be people who are close enough to know about what's going on. They could be, they could be the false teachers, the super apostles, so-called, in Corinth. But it could just be anybody in any of the churches. Uh, so he's seeking to protect uh, the integrity of the partnership um, so that people wouldn't have that, that temptation, even though Paul has authority, right? He wants to remove their temptation to, to think, well, maybe he's misusing it. Um, so he's taking, he's using due diligence, actually, is what he's doing. Like, so this is financial due diligence. We practice this, by the way. So we do what we do financially with, you know, more than one person sort of thing, and there's, there's multiple uh, accountability. Uh, so it's just, he's, do, he's practicing due diligence for the sake of the trust that they could continue to have trust in his collection and, I think, in his ministry as well. So does that answer that question, Andrea? Good questions, guys. Uh, after our meeting, if you have questions, please come and ask. Um, I just ask for your prayers as well. Um, why don't we prepare to transition to communion?